Well, it's a, it's a good time to be in the Lord's house. Amen. So I think we probably ought to all take, uh, y'all ready? We're going to take a deep breath. Ready? So we're here. We have a quorum. Uh, it may not be exactly the way we want to be it. It to be this morning. There may be some here that are not here that we wish were here, but uh, it's a good day again to be in the Lord's house. Amen. So Jesus continues to prepare his disciples for the most significantly significant worldly event to ever happen. That's his death on the cross. And uh, This morning, we'll see, he tells them for the fourth time, I'm going to be handed over to wicked, evil men, be crucified, and the third day raised again. He's going to tell them for the fourth time that he's going to die. And they yet haven't got it really in their mind yet, uh, but they're about to have it in, in a few days. So you've got your notes. I'm going to read again Matthew 26, 1 through 5. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So what did he just say? In two days, he's going to be what? He's going to be crucified. All right, you got that? All right, now keep that in your mind. All right, let's go to verse 3. Then the chief priests and elders of the people... Uh, religious leaders, we might say, gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and plotted together in order to arrest, arrest Jesus by stealth, stealth, and kill him. Now, they've been trying to kill him for a while. You'll remember there was one time that they had him hemmed up out on the cliff, nowhere to go. You remember that? And he, he turned around and walked through the crowd. And they didn't lay a hand on him. All right, that, that was one time in particular. So, verse 4, And plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to verse 5. Now, these are the people, quote, in charge. Religiously in charge. Politically in charge. Uh, these are the people calling the shots. Amen? All right. But they said, not during the feast, not during the Passover, because we don't want to cause an uproar, lest there be an uproar among the people. Okay, now keep those two things in mind. Two days, I'm going to die on the Passover, and they say, we don't want it to happen for nine days. All right? I really, really got my eyes open to this this year of all the times that I've read this, to see what the authorities planned and what God had planned from eternity past. And just think about that for a second, what God had for eternity past planned and what actually happened. Amen? Okay, so chapter 26 is 75 verses long. It's all about Him preparing them for his crucifixion. So today, he is talking about his own death. Uh, Next Sunday, we will 
look a little closer at the rulers conspiring against him to kill him. Then we'll look at this woman by the name of Mary that came and poured out some precious ointment upon his head. And the scripture, we read it this morning, in preparation for his burial. She had great insight about what was to happen. And then we're going to look at Mary, and uh, you'll remember that uh, you'll remember that when uh, when when uh, Mary came to anoint uh, uh, anoint him with oil. I'm gonna have to get my mind back straight here. Uh, just just give me just a second. Okay, so Mary came to anoint him with oil. Uh, and we read a very inexpensive perfume. Uh, his disciples said, why did she waste that? We could have spent it on the poor. But, but it, it, it says in the passage that wherever, wherever people are assembled, wherever the word of God is read, this woman will be what? Remembered forever for the simple act that she did in preparing for his, his burial. So then we get to verses 14 and 16, and we have this infamous, infamous man this man, Judas, who is always remembered also. So the contrast, we have one woman remembered because of the great things she did Christ, and we have one man remembered for the awful thing he did for Christ. And so that's where we're going over the next few weeks. Now, I've got a quite an introduction that you need to kind of keep yourself roused to and, and very little sermon. So I just want you to keep that in mind. Now, let me just bring you up to date. We are now approaching the closing scene of Jesus' earthly life. Rapidly approaching it. Two days. We have for 25 chapters looked at his sayings and doings. And really we've looked closely at his three and a half years of ministry. That's what we've been doing. We have seen him as the greatest of the prophets. You know our little catechism? It says, uh, uh, what role does Christ play? He plays the role of a prophet, a priest, and a king. Well, up until this point, he's been playing the role as a prophet. He's been teaching. He's been speaking. Now he is about to carry out the role as our priest. Because why do we need priests? Because we're guilty. Okay, and sacrifices have to be offered, and we'll see that play out also. So, he has been the greatest of prophets, and now we'll see him as the greatest high priest. Surely, it is a text that we need to read carefully and reverently. Carefully and reverently. We're in the last three chapters of Matthew. We are in the last 48 hours of his life. And when we read this text, it's like Moses at the burning bush. When we read this text, we are standing on holy ground. Here we see the seed of woman doing what he came to do, crushing the serpent's head. Here we see the sacrifice that all the Old Testament sacrifices pointed to. We see that ultimate sacrifice. Here we see the bloodshed. Are y'all listening? That purifies us from all sin. Hallelujah. 1 John 1, 7 says, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, 
We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Listen, either the blood of Christ cleanses you from all your sins or you're not clean. There's nothing else to wash away our sins. Here we see the Lamb of God slain. That does what? Takes away the sins of the world. You know the scripture in John 1, 29. The next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about what ought to embrace us, what ought to grip us, to cause us to love God with all our hearts. Amen? Here we see a great mystery revealed. Now listen, this is the mystery. How can God be just and yet declare the ungodly sinner to be righteous? It's the revealing of that ministry. All four of the Gospels cover this event in detail. All four of them. Just happens to be that uh, Matthew expounds a little more forthrightly upon it. So let's look at the text closely. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Now we're, we're doing the Lord's Supper this morning. I, I, Tom and I have not coordinated this. I have no idea which direction he's going. Uh, a few times ago when we looked at the Lord's Supper, matter of fact, in... in uh, in, in Bible study, we've looked at the Lord's Supper knowing that it's an extension of what? The Old Testament Passover. So I need to give you just a little bit of Passover this morning, a little bit of Passover that you might see how Christ is our Passover lamb. So we know we just go to Exodus, the 12th chapter. That's where we go to get a real clear picture of the Passover. All right, now you all know what happened. Moses is out on the backside of the desert and God remembers the people who have been in Egypt, have become captives, have become slaves. And after 430 years, he goes to Moses at the burning bush and says, I want you to go to Egypt and take my people out of captivity. Okay? So that's kind of how we got to this point. And we know he went there. We know he went there with power. He went there with ten plagues. And we come to that final plague, the final plague of the death of the firstborn of all animals and all peoples, the death of the firstborn, and we have the institution of what we know as the Passover. So I'm going to give you a little bit of detail about that. So the Israelites were preparing to be led out of Egypt by Moses as the last plague came about. The death of the firstborn, all humans and all animals, Death of the firstborn. And how were they going to escape that death of the firstborn? So we find its first institution, the institution of the Passover that the Jews still celebrate today. The tenth day of the month of Nisan. They were to take up a lamb for every household, or if the household were too small, they might take in their neighbors with them. A lamb. The lamb was to be a male without blemish. It had to be perfect. It was to be kept until the 14th day of the month. It was to be killed in the afternoon after the sun had started to go down in the afternoon at its decline, but before the sun set. 
So there was a time for the animal to be killed. The lamb that night was to be eaten. It wasn't to be eaten raw, nor sodden, but roasted with fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs. Specific instructions. There are specific instructions for how we are to be forgiven of our sins. It's that important. And this Passover shows us the importance of it. Nothing of the lamb was to remain till morning. There wasn't any leftover lamb the next morning. If there was anything left, it was to be burned. They were to eat it. Now you remember about what's about to happen? Pharaoh is about to say, get those people out of here. So they had to eat it in a state of readiness. They had to have their loins girded. They had to have their long wear up so they could move. Their loins were girded. Their shoes were on their feet, which was somewhat unusual for that culture. And their staff, their staves in their hand. They knew they were going to have to get. They just didn't know exactly when. They were to put the blood of the lamb on the two sides of the entry door, on both sides and above the entryway of the houses where it would be eaten. Oh, okay, so if we're going to eat it in this house and the house next door has come, we've got to put blood over the post of both houses. They've got to be covered with the blood of the lamb. Seven days they were to eat unleavened bread, beginning on the 14th day in the evening and ending on the 21st day in the evening. A week of preparation. This was to be a memorial of their deliverance in Egypt upon God's destroying the firstborn of the Egyptians and sparing the Israelites. Now, that may not resonate with us this morning, 2,000 years past. Well, 2,000 years well past. Somebody could figure that for me right quick, but don't have to. So that may not resonate with us this morning. Do y'all understand what we're talking about? There was a death angel coming to every home. And then that home, the firstborn of both humans and the firstborn of the animals would die. Now, it didn't resonate with many of the people then. But it resonated, are y'all with me, when the death angel came. And, and many of us may, may sit here and hear the preaching of God's Word over and over again, but especially the preaching we've had in the last two chapters, chapter 24 and 25, about the Lord coming suddenly, unexpectedly, and you've got to be ready when He comes. Right? And, and that may go over your head. But on the moment that that death angel came... It woke the people up. But it was too late. And the moment Christ steps out on the cloud and the trumpet sounds, it's too late to get ready. So by the Spirit of God, this, this message needs to resonate with you this morning. While it can still do you some good. It was an ordinance to be done forever. This was also a 
the figure of the true Passover, Jesus Christ. That Passover lamb, that spotless male lamb, is a picture of Jesus Christ. Did the gospel writers not call him the Lamb of God? We just read John. John said, behold, what? The Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And, and, and listen, I, I never until now uh, really looked at the differences between the original Passover and the other Passovers that came once they got out of Egypt. Representing the same thing, but a little bit of difference. And I want to cover that with you. At the Passover in Egypt, the blood was to be sprinkled on the doorpost. In following times, the blood and the fat was to be sprinkled upon the altar. You see the difference? I'd never, never even thought about that. At the Passover in Egypt, every family slew the Passover in their own house, if they were large enough. If not, others joined them. But afterwards, they were all slain in the area of the temple and then carried to be roasted and eaten by the families of that temple proper. The Passover in Egypt was to be eaten standing with their loins girded, their shoes on their feet, and their staves in their hand in the token of their being ready for the unexpected deliverance out of Egypt. But the following Passovers, in token of what Christ had done and the liberty in which God had brought them, they sat down or reclined as we've seen Jesus in the last Passover, the institution of the Lord's Supper, doing. So there's some significant differences to this. In other things, the observation was much alike. They strictly kept the time, the 14th day of the month, Nisan or Abib, parts of our March and April. And, and then it, the scripture tells us, our next scripture part in, in verse 2 says, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The Son of Man is betrayed to be what? Crucified. To die on the cross. That's what it says. If you'll just look back up in uh, verses 1 and 2. It, but when Jesus had finished these things, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. So we've taken a look at the Passover. We're back in our text, okay? We're back into the text where he says, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The Son of Man is betrayed for the purpose to be crucified. Not just to be arrested, not just to be rode out of town on the rail. He was, he was uh, betrayed to be crucified, to die. That's the only way it would work. It's just like the Passover lamb. It would not work unless that Passover lamb's blood had been shed. He knew what counsels his adversaries had already been taking. He, he's omniscient. So in all their conniving, he knew of their conniving. He knew what was going to happen. So he warns his disciples that they would not be surprised. He, he is doing his best to get them ready for that moment in which Peter and all the rest of them said, we'll never deny you, that moment in which it happened, and they all deserted him. And that's what we're trying to do this morning. We're trying, to, we're trying to gird our loins. We're trying to stir up ourselves that when he steps out on the cloud, we're ready. As certain as he was 
betrayed to be crucified, as certain as he was crucified, as certain as all that was in past, his stepping out on the cloud and the sound of the trumpet and his coming is going to happen. And by you putting it out of your mind or not believing it will not stop it from happening. And, I, and I'm pretty convinced that the only way people get by not thinking, not dealing with it, they just don't think about it. Yet, he was also as the Son of Man to be crucified. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. Then the chief priest and the elders of the people gathered in the palace of the high priest. That's, that's man, there's so much in that. The high priest was not in the temple. Where was he at? In the palace. This is, a, this is an instant in which the high priest is also the king. Tell me that's not some needed separation of church and state. But that's exactly how it was. And you, you know I'm not a proponent necessarily of separation. I'm not a proponent of the modern day politically correct opinion of separation of church and state. I am a proponent of separation of the church and state. The government should stay out of the church's business. Did y'all know that was the whole intent? It was never to keep the church from messing in the government's business. Go check it out. I believe, I believe we're to be salt and light especially salt, in all arenas. Would that not include government? We're just going to remove God and the church from government and expect it to be anything except corrupt? So the palace was named the high priest... The place in the palace was called the high priest's hall. Those there were the chief priests, scribes, and elders. They had... Now, this group is growing, okay? And so what they're debating is how they're going to kill Jesus. And they wanted to do it subtly. They wanted to do it in secret. They wanted to do it, nobody paid attention to it till it's all over. That's what they wanted to do. They were afraid of the people because these people had great esteem for Jesus. They had seen him, especially the Galileans who were at the Passover also. They had seen Jesus. They saw the many miracles that he had done. But they said, I want you to get the last part of uh, of uh, the whole verse 5. But they said, not during the feast. Well, listen, not only was it going to happen during the feast, it was going to happen on the most important day of the feast, the Passover. Now tell me what... What that's a picture for us to see, that Jesus Christ is the what? He is the Passover lamb. He was slain on the official Passover day. But they said, not on the feast, which begins just in two days. They said, we don't want it to happen then. The city would be full of people. Uh, Next week I'll give you a little information on that. A few people. 256,000 lambs were slain. 
That represented 10 people. That would be 2.5 million people in Jerusalem. They were worried about a riot. They were worried about a revolt. They were afraid of the people. And let me just tell you about Caiaphas. We'll look more at him as we go on. But let me tell you what he was. He may have been the high priest, but he was nothing but a political puppet. That's all he was, was a political puppet. So, a couple of things this morning. In your notes, we're at number one. Jesus, again, calls attention to his death. Now, what was the purpose of this? You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. What was his purpose? They weren't yet ready. Matter of fact, as hard as he preached, he could have a little sympathy with preachers today, right? As hard as he preached, as hard as he taught, they didn't get it. But they had an excuse you don't have. They yet did not have the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, church? We have the helper. So, I want you to go back in your mind to chapter 25. He just got through talking to them about the final judgment in which he would be the what? Judge. On a throne, a throne like you've never seen, and he, he leaves them with that thought, and he, he, he does this, he takes a, a deep breath, and he says this, you know that after two days the Passover is coming and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. He went from glory, he said, oh, by the way, before that glory happens, I've got to die on the cross. We had just looked at him coming in power and glory. He has just described the final judgment. By the way, in case you missed it, in case you might be thinking a little off, there's no opting out of the final judgment. You will be subpoena. You will be brought before the judge. We've looked at him coming in power and glory. I mean, talking about power, I'm telling you, the trumpet sounds and he's on a cloud. Okay, you're, listen, those who are believers are going to say, hallelujah, has finally come. Those that are not believers are going to run in terror because they're going to say, oh my goodness, it was true. He just described the final judgment. He has positioned himself as judge of all nations and peoples. I told you last week, China can't opt out. No nation will opt out. Then barely catching a breath, he again speaks of the crucifixion. The disciples are still thinking of his ruling and reigning with them and of him being the great judge, of him coming in glory. And then for the fourth time, he says, let me just tell you one more time. All right, look at Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day 
be raised. That was the first time. The second time is Matthew 17, 22. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. Matthew 20:18. See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And now today, for the fourth time, Matthew 26, 1 and 2. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. And uh, we're going to look at, and uh, will, we con- will we look at Peter's denial, or are we done with that, Russ, on Wednesday night? Done. Uh, Peter made his bold statements about he'd never, never forsake him. All the rest of them chimed in, but all of them did. So we'll look at that in detail. So he's preparing them to see that he must die for the sins of the world. Now listen, a cross before glory, crucifixion before glory. Are you with me? That would be a word to us until we die to self, until self is crucified. There's no glory. And there's really no glory to be expected here anyway for us. John 16, says, I've told you these things so that you might have peace. In this world, you'll have what? What we have in this world. But take heart, I have overcome the world. He must make atonement on the cross before he's crowned. He still had an unfinished work to do. Death on the cross. So the, the first point was Jesus calls attention to his death. The second point is this. This is the most significant event in history. History. I'm not talking about religious history. I'm talking about in world history. This is the most significant event ever. It is the primary event spoken in all of God's Word. All of God's Word passes forward, looks forward to this event. Event. It is what believers must keep their focus on. I, I, I heard, wow, I'll get it all to you over the next couple of weeks. A guy by the name of Jared Moore, he, he, wrote a, uh, he wrote a book, a recent book. He did his dissertation on human sexuality and all of the transing nonsense. And so I listened to a podcast with him. And, uh, uh, it's really good. It's on the Founders Ministry website, a podcast with him and Tom Askell and Graham Grudem. Uh, really, really good. He, he wrote a book, and I, I'm listening to this podcast, and, and I'm talking about it. It's really good. But I, I heard two things I can't wait to share with you. I'm going to share with you now, okay? So, first of all, the reason that we have the law, the reason that we have the Ten Commandments is to show us this, what great sinners we are. Listen, and look, we all need to, to own up that we're great sinners, Are y'all with me? We're great sinners, but I've got better news than that. God's grace is bigger than you ever believed it could be. Not only to forgive you from your sins, but to deliver you from your sins. And he was talking about same-sex attraction. He said, quit talking about yourself. Quit talking about yourself. Talk about Christ. Talk about the power and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Quit talking about your attractions. Quit talking about all of that other stuff that may have trapped you. Just forget about that. Think about Christ. Think about His grace. 
Well, it was astonishing. Listen, we are great sinners. But we have great God. And His grace is bigger than any of our sins. But we'll never defeat that sin as long as we're focusing on ourselves. we got to focus on Christ. I'll have the name of that for you next week. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And it must be the blood of Jesus. You know, those 256,000 at that one Passover won't do you and I a lick of good. But one drop of the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, applied to us will cleanse us from all our sins. Listen, Christianity without Christ's death is like a solar system without the sun. It is nothing. We should and have and will continue to make much of Jesus. We'll make much of Jesus, His life, and His death. So His birth, hey, it's Christmas time. Let's remember His birth. Amen? Let's remember His incarnation. You know what that means? He came to earth as a what? A man. Let's remember His example. Let's remember His miracles. Let's remember His teachings. Let's remember His mighty works and miracles and the words that He spoke. But let us make much of His death. If He didn't die, it's all, it's all uh, vain. It's all futile. It's a nothing. So we all always thinking, why, why don't... Why don't, why don't I love him more? Why don't we love him more? We don't think enough about his death. We don't need to, we don't think enough about, it should have been us on that cross, not him. Huh? Did you know that? I'm the one, you're the one that deserved to die on that cross, not him. He was sinless. If he hadn't taken our sins upon himself, God would not have been just in crucifying him. But he took our sins upon himself who knew no sin. Let us put much confidence and hope in his second coming. That he's going to judge. That we are going to eternally reign with him. But let us make the most of his death. Without his death, none of it means nothing. What did he say in John 19.30? We're going to hammer on this. What did he say? It is what? It is finished. And it was not finished until he was crucified. For you, for me. Daily, we ought to encourage our souls and our minds that I'm a sinner, but he's my Savior, and he died on that cross. Huh? Galatians 6.14, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. If, if this doesn't excite you, if this doesn't excite you, 
you're probably heading towards perishing. If, if you can't get stirred up over this, you're probably headed towards perishing because you have not embraced his death on the cross. Let me read that again. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. They don't understand that they're sinners and must have a sacrifice. And he became that sacrifice when he died on the cross. But to us who are being saved, it's what? The power of God. It's the grace of God that I might overcome all the sin in my life. And let me just tell you, there's a bunch of them. But as many and as much and as bad as my sins are, what's better? God's grace. Did you hear me? His grace is sufficient. You've got to quit talking about yourself and talk about Him, His death on the cross, and the power that He brings. The cross is the essence of redemptive truth. It is where the Lamb of God was slain. It was the animal sacrificed to clothe Adam and Eve. It was the ark that saved Noah and his family from the flood. It was the ram caught in the bushes that was a substitute for Isaac. All the Levitical sacrifices, all of those Old Testament sacrifices pointed to the sacrifice of Christ. It was seen in the serpent lifted up in the wilderness, in Boaz, who was the kinsman redeemer. All of these point to Jesus and Him on the cross. Do you not see from the first sacrifice that was slain so Adam and Eve could be clothed until Christ, all of those other sacrifices were just pictures. And there was a bunch of them. Somebody probably has you could probably Google this. You can never find everything except the truth on Google, right? I wonder what the estimate is since the Passover was instituted of all the numbers of lambs and goats that were slaughtered over the history of time. How bad was it? Uh, tradition says that during the Passover... The ditches in Jerusalem. Are y'all with me? The ditches in Jerusalem ran full of blood. What, 250,000 lambs? Can y'all imagine the blood? Lots of blood. John 3, 14 and 15 says, and as, I love this scripture, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You remember? You remember they, they, they were... One more time, one more time, they, they pulled a, a bruise, pulled a man, right? One more time, they grumbled and complained. Remember that? And he sent poisonous snakes among them, and it bit the people, and people it bit died. But he didn't leave them in their rebellion and hard-heartedness. He didn't leave them there, but he sent, he sent uh, Moses to get a man to build a bronze statue of the serpent, and he put it on the pole, lifted it up out in the wilderness. This is in Numbers chapter 5. You want to go read it. And if they held it up, and it didn't matter if you got snake bit a minute before or five hours before, just as long as you looked at that snake on the pole lifted up before you died, you'd be healed. Well, as those people in that time had to look at the serpent on the pole, let me tell you, if you do not look at Christ, 
Him lifted up on the cross, His blood shed for the forgiveness of sin, you're not ready for death. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. You know what that's talking about? He's not going to be lifted up again. But every time the Word of God is preached, that preacher is lifting Jesus up to you. Look, look at Jesus, Him on the cross. That's what you've got to look to still today. That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. So let me ask you this morning, what are we looking at for our forgiveness? Some good thing you did? You being a good person? Being a member of some Baptist church somewhere? Some Pentecostal church somewhere? Listen, nothing but Christ lifted up on the cross. Nothing. So what should this produce in us? A life of love towards Him. Devotedness to Him. Devotedness to His church and the advancement of His kingdom. Next week, we'll look a little closer at the plot to kill Jesus.